Thank you, Victor. Yeah, this is, uh, it's, it's a privilege uh, to speak tonight, and I, um, it's a privilege for, for a couple of reasons. Just sharing the God's Word is a huge privilege, but uh, you guys mean so much to me. The CR family means so much to me, and I was thinking, um, I haven't spoken in a long time, but I'm, I feel very comfortable for two reasons, I think. One is that I know God's in control. That's the biggest reason. And the other is how comfortable I feel around you guys. So um, I'm eager to just share something that's on my heart. I did download a new app before the service, which is a clock that will... Oh, I see there's a clock back there too. So I'm going to try to... That, that can be a downfall of mine. So I'll, I'll try to be careful with that. Anything where I'm like Victor is good. I'm always... Uh, anything that I'm like him, I, I like. Um, so if that, you know... But um, it's interesting. I was thinking, and I can't ever get right into something. I always have so many prefaces and preliminaries to, before the plane takes off. But um, I was thinking about coming here to CR, coming to church, and there's a lot of different reasons. I like all of you for a lot of different reasons, but ultimately I was thinking it's, it's for maintenance. And what I mean by that is as I hear Victor teach, as I hear Jonathan teach or Brian or different people, it, it, it realigns, it trims, it, it, it brings back because the tendency so quickly in the world we live in is to, to have things thrown out of alignment, to have the windshield get foggy. I mean, it happens quickly. And, and I was even thinking about the fact that if you don't maintain then you need repairs, right? If you neglect maintenance. And so the topic I want to talk about is something that's really been on my heart for a while. But I want to even say up front um, to my family at CR that this is something that I think we, I think we do well. I, I think it's some, this is not a repair area, but it's a maintenance area. Does that make sense? In other words, it, it's something I want to challenge myself with. I really do. And I want to challenge us, just, just like Victor does every week, but, but I also want to acknowledge that I think because of the maintenance that we get through God's Word all the time, it's not an area of, of, of vast problems. But I do think in the church at large, this, is, this can be a real problem area, and it, and it breaks my heart, and I want to see um, the church in, in general do better here. So... Um, my desire through all the teaching and through all the gathering that we do, is that we, CR, and the church globally, look and smell like Jesus. That's, that's, that's what I want. And that when we go out in the world, in the grocery stores and the neighborhoods and things like that, that we look and smell like him. And so that's a little bit of what I want to talk about. Um, I have, in the past, when I think about Jesus and I think about what characterizes him, there's two things that always come immediately to my mind, immediately. It's the cross and it's a bowl and towel. Maybe that's three, but I'm going to put the bowl and towel together. So I always think about the cross, his dying for us, giving up his life for us. And I think of him as a servant with that bowl and towel washing the disciples' feet. And I think those are two things that everything he models, he models for us to follow and to be like him. But this is a third that I'm going to add to that list. Um, and again, it's one that's been on my heart a lot in the past months. Um, and maybe it's because the times we live in, maybe it's because of the divisive and the 
inflammatory times we live in, but it's an area that I think Jesus is, as he is in everything, wonderful, masterful at this, and I want to be more like him in this area. And it's that area of being a friend of sinners. And as I was preparing, you know, I mean, I, I know the verse, I've read the verse, but we always say friend of sinners, right? But it's, that's not the exact verse, right? It's friend of tax collectors and sinners. And, and I think that's significant. So we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight, right? We're going to talk about tax collectors and sinners and, and, and how we interact with them. And tonight, I feel like as I was preparing, this is very different. This is not verse by verse like Victor does every week for us. And this is a little different for me. I love going verse by verse through, but I feel like it's a little bit like a Christmas carol where we're going we're gonna to go visit four, four places. We're going to visit two houses. We're going to visit the houses of two tax collectors, and we're going to visit the house of a Pharisee, and we're going to visit the temple. So we're going we're gonna to just make some visits and observe what's going on and watch what Jesus does, watch what the people around him do, watch what the interactions are. And what I want us to do is I want us to look for ourselves in these scenes. And I want us to look critically and carefully to see if maybe there's some, you know, there, there's always a character you want to be, but, but maybe there's, maybe we're not one of the characters, in this case, the Pharisees or the, the religious leaders, but maybe there's some of them in us, and we need to be aware of that, and we need to be mindful of that. Um, one picture I'd like to use in one of the places we'll go when we go to the temple is the, the woman who was caught in adultery, and they wanted to stone her, and they were all holding stones. And so one of the things I want to challenge myself and us is to check our hands frequently and, and see if we've got any stones in our hands, because I think sometimes we do, and we we don't recognize it. We're not, we're not aware of it. We're, I don't know, jaded to ourselves sometimes. And so I want us to be looking for whether we've got stones in our hands or not as we go through this. So Luke 7, 34, one verse says, the son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look, a glutton and a wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So that's what I want to camp on tonight. But we're going to go a bunch of places looking at that. And what I want us to realize right out the gate is that that was an accusation. That wasn't a praise. <laughs> that should be something that they're like, wow, that guy's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What a guy. But it wasn't. It was an accusation, a scathing accusation. So right off the bat, I want to ask, as Christians, are people accusing us of being friends of tax collectors and sinners? You know, I hope so. That's, that's what we, if we're going to be like our Lord, we should be being accused of the same thing. And so um, I just want us to watch for ourselves in these scenes. I, I also want to say, um, it, you know, for anybody here or anybody online, you know, if uh, I want, we're going to talk about sinners. What does that mean? Um, the word sin and sinners is not a, a popular word. Um, but one of the things I want to say is that those who follow Jesus Christ and who really love him and follow him are going to become more and more like him. But as my pastor Victor says so often, he says, we're not perfect. It's a process. 
And there's a difference in failure and getting up and trying again and having a heart to follow and, and, and just not even being, having a heart for him at all, right? So, so but we fail and we will fail to re- properly reflect Jesus. I want to do it better than ever before. I want all of us to, but I would say if somebody that's watching or any, you know, anyone, as we go through these stories, if you feel like the sinner, the one that's being called a sinner, the one that's being humiliated as a sinner, the one who somebody wants to stone, I, I would ask you to consider that maybe the person doing that is not representing Jesus at all, okay? Because that's not his heart. So um, I'm going to do one quick disclaimer, um, and I'm, then I'm going to try to really get into this, okay? Like I said, it takes me a long time to get the plane off the ground, um, Speaking the truth in love. I want to go ahead and get this out of the way right away. Because when we talk about this subject of how we interact with sinners, very quickly a lot of things are defended based on speaking the truth in love. Well, I was just speaking the truth in love. You know, hey, I'm, you know, I can't help how they took it, you know, whatever. I, I want to address this right away. Um, that can be something we hide behind. Um, my kids, my, one of my sons is here and he knows, they know I hated anybody said, just kidding, just joking. I hated it. And I said, because what you're doing is you're using that as a cover for some, just being mean to somebody. You say something ugly, demeaning, and I'm oh, just kidding. You just cover it with that. And, and that's not okay. And so I, I was really big on that. Um, but I think this, now, speaking the truth in love is a big, biblical principle. Do not misunderstand me. Sin is a biblical principle. Absolutely, I'm not. But we can, we can hide behind that and dismiss our own arrogance, our own pride, our own fear that I was speaking the truth in love, and I wasn't. I was speaking it in anger. I was speaking it in pride. And I want us to be conscious of that when we try to think about what does it mean to love sinners the way Jesus loves sinners, but still realize that sin is real and harmful and damaging. So here we go. I'm going to begin by reading something. When I started thinking about this, there was a, 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 something that I had read in a book, and I wanted to find the book, and I just took, I finally found it. I'm going through, I couldn't remember the book, but I'm going, where was that? I think it was the intro. And Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace, kind of will we'll, we'll, we'll lead this off in terms of the, the, where my heart is on this for the church as a whole, um, especially in the world we live in right now that's so contentious. He says, I told a story in my book, The Jesus I Never Knew. So this is What's So Amazing About Grace. That's the intro to his book, What's So Amazing About Grace. I told a story in my book, The Jesus I Never Knew, a true story that long afterward continued to haunt me. I heard it from a friend who works with the down and out in Chicago. A prostitute came to me in wretched straits, homeless, sick, unable to buy food for her two-year-old daughter. Through sobs and tears, she told me she had been renting out her daughter, two years old, to men. She made more renting her out in an hour than she could earn on her own in a whole night. She had to do it, she said, to support her own drug habit. I could hardly bear hearing her sordid story. For one thing, it made me legally liable. I'm required to report cases of child abuse. I had no idea what to say to this woman. At last, I asked if she had ever thought about going to a church for help. 
And I will never look, never forget the look of pure, naive shock that crossed her face. Church, she cried. Why would I go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They would just make me feel worse. What struck me about my friend's story is that the woman, is that women, much like this prostitute, fled toward Jesus, not away from him. The worse a person felt about herself, the more likely she saw Jesus as a refuge. Evidently, the down and out who flocked to Jesus when he lived here on earth no longer feel welcome among his followers. What has happened? And the more I pondered this question, the more I felt drawn to one word as the key. All that follows from that, all that follows uncoils from that one word. And of course, the word is grace. And I'm not talking about grace tonight. I'm talking about being a friend of sinners. But, and certainly there are many in the church who love sinners well, who love people well, okay? There are. But the feeling that by certain people that I don't want to walk in a church because they'd hate me, they'd, they'd, they'd despise me, they wouldn't, is, is real for some people. Right or wrong, it, 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 it's real for some people. And certainly, I want us to live out our life. And, and again, I do think CR is a place where people are comfortable coming in. I do. It's wonderful. Um, and I want that to, to grow. Um, but again, I do think that, and, and through some personal experiences of talking to people, the assumption is that, well, because of my lifestyle, because of something, I'm not going to be welcome there, and not only not welcome, but I would be despised. And, and so that's what he was talking about. So the, I'm going to read that starting off first one more time, but just with a little bit more context. So when, when, John, when John had sent his disciples to ask for... Um, if Jesus was really the one, that's where this story, at least in Luke, happens. And so Jesus in Luke 7 is saying, For I say to you, among those born of women, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And then he goes on to, to just say a few more things, and then and that's verse 28. And then in 33 he says, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners." but wisdom is justified by her children. So here again, Jesus is saying, you guys, you say this. So I want to read, um, I want to just go to Zacchaeus' home and to Matthew's home and read these little accounts and look at how the religious leaders interacted with Jesus in those settings. So obviously Zacchaeus and Matthew were both tax collectors, right? And... um, Honestly, I do not know why it's tax collectors and sinners. I don't know. I mean, they hated tax collectors. They hated them um, because they were unfair. And, and, but, the, but the reason I love that God does that is, you know, we're in election season right now. And there is visceral responses to campaign ads. and to, I mean, it gets people worked up. And I think as Christians, we have an incredible opportunity to walk through the political world and to walk through especially these weeks leading up to November in a different way than the rest of the world does. Jonathan, you said something uh, in, a, in a teaching you did recently about how Jesus wants to, uh, Jesus, how the religious leaders wanted Jesus to take sides, right? That was the, always they're trying to get him to take sides and he was a master at not taking sides. At, at you know, and I, I think, in one of the teachings recently about the angel, and he says, whose side are you on? And he said, neither. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, are you on my side, right? So, but I think, 
the enemy wants us to take sides. He wants us to take sides. He wants us to love Republicans and hate Democrats or love this and hate that or love Democrats and hate Republicans. Or He wants us to take sides. He wants us to hate people. And, 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 and he uses things like tax collectors. To me, that's what this is all. The tax collector, that's what it's about. And uh, so then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. And he was rich, and he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Here, this tax collector that the religious leaders hated received Jesus joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. So, you know, does, is that, are we guests with people that maybe some religious leaders would say you shouldn't be guests with, shouldn't associate with them, you know? Now, these religious leaders obviously were not lovers of Christ. They were enemies of Christ. So make no mistake. The, when I say religious leaders, I'm not talking about godly pastors and things like that. But what I am saying is that this religious community that wanted nothing to do with Jesus but wanting, wanted to live out religion, they wanted religion, and they wanted to look good and feel good, and they, they felt the, the more they looked down on people, the better they felt about themselves. And so that's who was saying this. That's who was frustrated with Jesus. So again, I want us to be accused of, I want us to be doing the things Jesus was doing that might bring that kind of criticism from somebody who has that heart. Let me, because I'm not gonna make it if I don't move on. So let's go to Matthew's house real quick. So as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now, it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. So, obviously, these tax collectors and sinners, and we're going to talk about sinners in just a minute. We're going to talk about what that means. Um, They were not all believers. Now, maybe Matthew was at that point, but whether he was or not, um, certainly his, his friend group wasn't. And yet, here they are sitting down with Jesus and... Um, here again, here come the Pharisees. When they saw it, they said, why does, your tax collect- why does your tax collector, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Again, there's this, you know, you're, if, if, if he's a good man, if he's a godly man, he wouldn't associate with them, right? And yet Jesus, man, he didn't just associate with them, he attracted them. He, he delighted them. They came running to him and, and they felt good around him. That's who our model is. And so when Jesus heard that, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So now we're beginning to get into what I want to, the next topic about sinners. Um, The... When Jesus said, I came to call sinners, not the righteous, what he was 
not saying is that there are people who don't need me. That's what it looks like. And that's how the Pharisees would like to interpret it. Oh, you didn't come to call me. I'm, I'm righteous. I mean, they, they believed they were righteous and they didn't need him. And so, but, but, but what Jesus is really saying is I, can't, I didn't come to call the self-righteous, the people who believe that they, they're, they're righteous and they don't need me. That's, that's the distinction. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in just a second. I want to read one more quick verse. Luke 15, then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained. They're complaining a lot. And they said, and I love this. Listen to what they, uh, what they accused him of. This man receives sinners and eats with them. So, I mean, so again, I'm asking myself, do I receive sinners? Do I eat with them? And well, we can, we can make further progress when we talk about what does that mean? What is a sinner in this context? But so Jesus is accused of, of, of eating and drinking with sinners, receiving sinners. And I like that word, receive sinners. He receives them. Not just that he associates with them or he's willing to get a quick photo with them, but, but he receives them and he eats with them. And, and obviously eating was a pretty intimate thing in, the, in that culture. It was a very intimate thing. And so we're getting this picture in these tax collectors' houses. Now, let me say this. I want to draw a very quick current application. I'm going to have to really move about tax collectors and about sinners. So all I want to say about tax collectors is this, that I don't know any tax collectors personally, okay? I mean, I, see, I get their flyers in the mail every day now. I see them ads on TV and I hear them on the radio, but I don't know any tax collectors personally. So the important application for me with regard to tax collectors is this, okay? It's very different than with sinners. Where, where, where I want to be like Jesus with regard to tax collectors is that when, when, when we're dealing with political things, we're dealing with elections and all that, what I want people to see is that I'm not afraid of who wins an election because my God's in control. I, I, the, 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 there is a peace that just says, man, yeah, I'll vote. I'll take responsibility. I have opinions. I value certain things. And there's things that break my heart that certain candidates are for. But here's the thing. God's in control. He's in complete control. I have zero fear of who's going to win the governor in a Georgia or the presidency in a couple years. I'm not afraid of that because God's in control. So when, when it comes to tax collectors as Christians, I think what's at stake in our how we deal with tax collectors is do, do we demonstrate a trust in God that, it go, that just soars above, that recognizes that he's in controls of nations, he raises and puts down leaders. That when it comes to tax collectors, that's what's at stake. I just don't have personal interaction with him. But sinners, different matter. It's very personal, very intimate, very face-to-face, very one-on-one. And, and, and we're gonna go there now. So... Um, very quickly before sinners, let me say this about sin. And I think Victor said it recently. I think he quoted it on Sunday. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. And let me say this. And again, if, as I talk through what sinners are in this context, okay? And if anybody ever listening or watching this feels like one of those people that some religious person wants to throw stones at if they feel like a person that they're just struggling and they recognize their sin, but they're struggling in it or, 
whatever it is, what I want to communicate is that God passionately loves every one of us. We're all sinners, and God loves every one of us. And his issue with sin is not his disgust with us. It's that he loves us so dearly, and sin is cancer to the soul. And God cares so much about ridding us of anything that would hurt us and and harm us. That's his heart. But what Satan does, what our enemy does, is he says, sin is nothing more than God making an arbitrary list of do's and don'ts for no purpose other than scorekeeping and telling you you're not doing it right and I'm going to punish you if you don't do it right. That's Satan's message. Satan's message is sin isn't anything serious. Sin is just God's arbitrary line that he uses to put you down. That's not true. Sin is cancer. And, And Satan is the one who wants you to die in your sin. Satan's the one who wants you to suffer. And, and sin makes people suffer. God loves sinners. I'm a sinner. God loves me. God, God wants to remove this cancer from me so that I can enjoy life. So I want you to understand that about sin when we talk about sin. It's so easy to put these walls up and think, I don't want to talk about sin because that's about my behavior or my choices. And, and that, that isn't, there's an element of that. But I want, I want us to understand that sin as a whole is something that is, is harmful to us And God loves us and wants us to be free of that. Now, sinners. So they said, this man receives sinners. He eats with them. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So what what did they mean by that? So again, here's what the Bible says about us, okay? And when I say us, I mean us. Everyone, every human being who's ever been born. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. There is none righteous, no, not one. So when they say he receives sinners as if that's some little subset of society, we are all sinners, right? So in this context, as we look at these stories, I believe that we have to look at who said that, right? It was, the, it was the Pharisees that said he eats with sinners. So I think what, what they were saying is he's eating with people who there were prostitutes. There were uh, tax collectors who cheated people. Th- there were people who lived lives that openly ignored the, 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 the godly, the standards that God had set. And so when they said sinners, they were talking about people who visibly lived a life ignoring God, ignoring God's laws and so forth. But the problem is that Jesus, he cares about our heart. He cares about our heart. And, and, and I believe that, this is my, 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 my belief, that, that when a person who's representing God misrepresents him, that's more egregious than when a person who doesn't know God sins, which is natural and normal for a person who doesn't know God. I, I think that when, when there's a person who either claims to represent God or does represent God and they grossly misrepresent him, that's a more, more harmful thing. And that doesn't mean sin is not harmful. Sin is bad. And again, God wants to rescue us from that. But these religious leaders grossly misunderstood God's heart towards sinners. Um, in Luke 18, it says, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So you see that? They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And I'm not going to read it because I'm running out of time. 
But this is the story about the Pharisee who stood there and said, God, I'm so thankful I'm not like that disgusting tax collector. So thankful that I'm good. And God said, the tax collector who beat his breast and said, have mercy on me, went down justified, not the, not the religious leader, not the Pharisee. So the Pharisee and the tax collector are both sinners, both sinners. The Pharisee just doesn't recognize it. And, and so in the, the, this category that's used in this, the, the, this friend of sinners, the, the Pharisees didn't consider Jesus a friend, right? I mean, when you look in the Bible, Jesus never, ever makes light of sin, but he also never says anything harsh to a sinner. He says some really, really harsh things to Pharisees, really harsh, because he knows their hearts are far from God. And the, a lot of these sinners were on their way to finding God, and they were on their way to, in the middle of the pain of what their sin had brought, discovering someone who could rescue them from their sin. The, the religious leaders had no interest in that. So I want you to get that sense of the sinners, what, is, what these sinners, what that meant. Um, so in other words, again, we are, the Bible's clear that we've all sinned, and God offers forgiveness, God offers us a way through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, a way out of that, a way to be free from that. And that's, that's the issue. Um, so I want to get to something really that's important for me to share with you guys. So I'm going to have to really fly through. So these two stories, you guys know the story of the woman at Simon's house. She's wiping Jesus' hair with her feet. And um, Simon makes this statement. He says, if this man was a prophet, he would know what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Again, what I'm wanting us to get is the vast difference between Jesus, who we should be like, and Simon. If we find ourselves saying, oh, I don't want, I don't want them touching me. Oh, I don't, I don't, you know, that's not like Jesus, right? If, if we, I want us to be looking for that in our lives. I want to look at, for that in my life. And... Um, he makes this statement in verse 44. He says, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? And then he goes on to talk about how she worshiped him and Simon didn't have the time of day for him. But, but, but one of the things I want you to recognize is Jesus saw her and Simon didn't. We should see people. We should see them. The people who are hurting, the people who are down and out, the people who maybe society doesn't like, or maybe some churches don't like, right? I mean, it's funny. I think Calvary, I don't know all the history, but I, I think a lot of Calvary Chapel's history was Chuck Smith wanting to minister to hippies in the 60s who had long hair and flip-flops and shorts, and some churches didn't want them in because of how they looked. And, and I want us to be on guard for, are there things like that in our life Maybe it's not long hair. Maybe it's not the clothes. Maybe there's something, someone, where we're just uncomfortable. And, and, and so um, I'm going to go quickly because I want to get to this thing, and I've got about seven or eight minutes left. So the next thing was the temple. And again, very familiar story. So if we now come to the temple, we've been to Matthew's house, we've been to Zacchaeus's house, we've been to... Uh, uh, Simon's house. And, and again, at every turn are the Pharisees complaining and accusing Jesus of the hideous crime of being kind to sinners. And, and so I hope you're getting the picture that I, I want us <laughs> to get accused of that. Um, so here's the woman caught in adultery. And 
I'm not going to read the whole thing. I don't have time. You guys know the story. But they bring this woman. And, and one of the things that has always frustrated and fascinated me about this story, and it, I, I wanted Jesus' first words to be, where's the man? That's what I wanted Jesus' first words to be. I, it bothers me that he never addresses that. And yet I feel like it's part of the fact that Jesus doesn't get drawn into things the way people want to draw him in, right? He knows what's going on, and his focus is on this woman he, who he knows they don't care about a bit because they didn't bring the man. They, bring, they drag this woman out here. She's caught in adultery in the act, and the, the act involves two people, so somebody's missing from this equation. And, and, and they bring her, and that's where I was thinking what you said, Jonathan, you know, here, they're like, well, who is it? Is it Moses or the woman? Pick. Take a side, Jesus. Are you going to side with Moses and the law, or are you going to side with the woman? <laughs> and what he does is so awesome. First of all, he just ignores them. He writes on the ground. And finally, they're like, hey, what, what are you going to do about this? And he says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Now, I, I, I'm not going to tell you that I've researched all the Greek and Hebrew on it. I've heard people say that he who is without the same sin or similar sin, to me, no matter what, Jesus says, if you're without sin, go for it. And one by one, they drop their stones. And like I said, I think a lot of times I've got stones in my hands and I'm not aware of it. Sometimes I have stones in my hands and I am aware of it. And I just, I don't want to be a stone thrower and a stone carrier. You know, I just, but, but so I want to remember that. But what I love is what, what Jesus did, uh, he's, he's so masterful, is to condemn, to stone. The law did say to stone someone in adultery, right? But you had to have two witnesses. And Jesus got rid of all the witnesses. He got rid of them all. There were, <laughs> there were no witnesses left. And, and he, said, he said, where are your accusers? And she says, they're, they're gone. And he said, neither do I condemn you. And I love that. Again, another key thing to pick up on is, am I a condemner? Is that my interaction with sinners? When I, when I get involved with somebody who's not a believer yet, somebody who is living a life according to what's right in their own eyes, am I a condemner? Then I, I don't have to compromise with sin to not condemn there's, there, there's a, and Jesus was perfect at loving sinners, but taking sin seriously. He was perfect at that, and I want to be good at that. So, application. This is what I want to get to, and I've got about four minutes. I hope I won't go over but a couple minutes if I do. I, I want to just share you guys something. You know, this is part of just believers, body of Christ. We're all, you know, I don't know if I'm an elbow or a toe or a I don't know what I am, but I'm part of you guys, and Christ is our head, right? And I want to share something that is my personal experience that I want to share with you, my brothers and sisters, as part of this interaction with um, what, what I think the Pharisees would have called, you know, would have, oh, they're sinners, you're associating with sinners. And so it has to do with the LGBT community, all right? So in my life, through numbers of people that I care about. Um, I have gotten personal, firsthand, rubbing shoulders with and interacting with L's, B's, G's, and T's, all of them, okay? Every single one of them. And um, there is, and I have learned some things that I want to share with you guys that I think are important to understand as we 
uh, in it, because this world that we live in right now is highly politically divided, and there is a lot going on with the whole issue of LGBT and all of that. And so how do we go walk out in this world and love every single person? And what I want to make a point of is that I'm not saying they're the sinners, and that's who, I, we're all sinners. There's lots of different groups of sinners. And, but, but, but in my life, this is a, there's a, a group of folks that I think can very often feel like the church hates me, Christians hate me, they, they want nothing to do with me. And sometimes it's because Christians have treated them that way. But l- let me quickly just share a couple of things. F- first of all, being attracted to the same sex is not a sin, right? The, the Bible's clear that acting and having relationships with same sex, the Bible's clear that that's a sin, just like adultery sin, just like um, for, you know, sex outside of marriage is a sin, um, so the Bible's clear, but that attraction, and, and the, the thing that I've come to realize that I think is significant is, I think the church, Christians, a lot of times, and, and, I, and I don't mean to paint with a broad brush, but a lot of times just assume, well, if, if they just decided not to be attracted, they, that would just, that, that, that's just a choice they make. And, and I have found through personal interaction and also through some books that I would highly recommend you read, that there are people who their earliest, earliest, earliest feelings of attraction for anyone is to someone of the same sex. And especially in Christian homes, this can be horrifying and humiliating and people feel shame and afraid of how it's going to be uh, responded to. And, but, but, what I, but what I've learned, like I said, is that th- there are those who, as they realize that something's different. One of the guys, Wesley Hill, I'm going to read you just a little bit from him, and then I'll, I'll, I'll try to draw this to an end. He was um, in a Christian home, and he was a young man in the youth group and a leader and all this, and he began to realize these feelings, and he was frightened. And actually, one of the first very frightening things that happened to him, or not first, but he was with some of the other boys in the church, and one of them got a hold of some pornography. And as they were looking at it, he realized that nothing, but all the other boys were, and he began to realize something's different. And, and I want to read this to you. And again, I've got, oh, I'd like to say so much more. I want to read this to you. And the reason I'm saying this, and the reason I'm sharing this, and I can talk more with you guys later, is that I think that where we can do some harm is when we make the assumption that, oh, you chose that. You just woke up one day and just chose that. And if you just unchose that, it would be over. And what I find is that there are some Christian men and women that struggle. They, they, they have made a choice to honor God sexually for the rest of their life, but it is not easy. And when we, when we act like it's easy, we really hurt them. And that's the, I think that's the point I want to make is that this is a practical area of being a friend of sinners that I think is significant. Let me just read you this. If you'll indulge me, I know I'm already kind of at the end of time, but I wanted to read you this. This is called Washed and Waiting. This is the first book I read. I've read four books of, of, of two men, two women who, um, Wesley was, was already a Christian. Um, the other three came to Christ and 
moved away from a homosexual or lesbian lifestyle. But one of the powerful things that's hard for me to get my head around, but I trust my God and I believe in his grace. And this is not 100% true because I've, I've read in this book from Wesley, he knows of testimonies of people who have given their life to the Lord, who've, who've, who've made a choice to live a godly life and to, to live a, a, a marriage as God designed with one man, one woman that have been freed from those attractions. But all four of these people that I read, both men, both women, love the Lord, living for the Lord. One of them, um, uh, um, one of them uh, Chris Yuan, is a professor at Moody Bible now, but still attracted to men. This man, faithful to the Lord, still attracted to men, has asked to be released from that, wants to be released from that, but trusts God to walk him through it by grace. And it's a powerful thing. And I I want us to understand that that's a reality, that this this isn't something where every person who says, I'm going to surrender my life to sexual purity, to, to God and to be sexually pure, that it's just automatically easy. But let me read this real quick and I'll, and I'll end. I'm sorry I've gone so long. More and more, I have the sense that what many of us need is a new conception of our perseverance and faith. We need to reimagine ourselves and our struggles. The temptation for me is to look at my bent and broken sexuality and conclude that with it, I will never be able to please God, to walk in a manner worthy of his calling, to hear his praise. But what if I had a conception of God-glorifying faith holiness, and righteousness that included within it a profound element of struggling and stumbling? What if I were to view homosexual orientation, temptations, and occasional failures not as damning disqualifications for living a Christian life, but rather as a part and parcel of what it means to live by faith in a world that is fallen and scarred by sin and death? People with same-sex attractions who profess Christian faith will accept their homosexual desires as their cross, as a providential part of their struggle to glorify God and save their lives in a sinful world, writes Thomas Hopko, Eastern Orthodox priest. Now, we don't save our lives by living holy lives. Let me be clear about that. We save our lives by putting our faith in Christ. But the point that this man is making is that um, there are many, many, many men and women who have chosen to live a, holy, live a life in obedience to God, but it is not easy. My homosexuality, my exclusive attraction to other men, my grief over it, and my repentance, my halting effort to live fittingly in the grace of Christ and the power of the Spirit, gradually I'm learning not to view these things as a confirmation of my rank, corruption, and hypocrisy. I'm instead slowly but surely learning to view the journey of struggle, failure, repentance, restoration, renewal, and joy, and persevering, agonized obedience as what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to be transforming me on the basis of Christ's cross and his Easter morning triumph over death. The Bible calls the Christian struggle against faith, against sin faith. It calls the Christian fight against impure cravings holiness. So I'm trying to appropriate these biblical descriptions of my, for myself. I'm learning to look at my daily wrestling with disordered desires and call it trust. I'm learning to look at my battle to keep from giving in to my temptations and call it sanctification. I'm learning to see that my flawed, imperfect, and never giving up faithfulness is precisely the spiritual fruit that God will praise me for on the last day to the ultimate joy and honor of Jesus Christ. 
My continuing struggle for holiness as a gay Christian can be a fragrant aroma to the Father. I'm coming to believe that it will be, in C.S. Lewis' words, an ingredient in the divine happiness. So I dumped a lot on you guys, but like I said, in my personal life, I've come to have a, a, a love for a, a group of people that in the day and age we live in um, are, are wrestling with something that many of them don't want to be wrestling. Now, I'm, there's many who, it's, it's, it's fine, but, but many are, are wrestling genuinely. And if we can love on them while they wrestle and not minimize the wrestling and not minimize the difficulty, like I say, Washington Waiting, Rosaria Butterfield's book, th- th- these books are, they're hard to read because I wanted one of them to end with the person being freed. And um, the two women have married men and are living in a married life in obedience but are still attracted to women. But they're living obediently. And the two men are living celibate lives but just on their knees before God. And that's just four books. It's four people. It's not a... But, but again, I, I've also... Um, just, just interacted with just a variety of people that show me that there's, there's more to this than sometimes we think. And, and, and none of this, you know, every one of us struggles with sin in some way, some way. And um, so as I was thinking about friend of sinners, this, this, was, this was where I wanted to land the plane if I could. So I, I'm sorry, I've gone so long, I, pro- I apologize. Let me, uh, let me close this in prayer and uh, we'll go. Dear Lord, um, I thank you that you love me and I thank you that you love us and I thank you that you love this world and I, I pray, my prayer, my heart is that we can reflect as accurately as possible how much you love each person and that we could live lives that somehow would attract people to us that many times might say, no, I'll be rejected. No, I'll be condemned. No, I'll be um, despised. Um, Lord, I just pray you'll give us your heart and show us the blind spots. Show us the areas where we think we're being like you, but we're being like a Pharisee, where we, we're hiding behind, well, I'm just speaking the truth in love, and it's t- like it or leave it, um, Take it as you will. Tough nuts. Just, you got to hear this. Help us understand what it looks like to be absolutely, absolutely committed to the truth of your word and, and your holiness and, and, and not compromise on that. And at the same time, have a person say, that person loves me. That person cares about me. And, um, and that we would genuinely smell like you that the fragrance of Christ is what would come out of our life and not the stench of our flesh, um, which, is the op- which is the alternative. So, uh, Lord, um, I thank you for this group here. I love being a part of the body of CR with you as our head. I, I love my brothers and sisters here, and it is such a joy to, to fellowship with them, and they bring so much into my life, helping me grow, helping me get straightened out and tuned up and realigned when, when, when the week gets me out of alignment. And um, I just pray for my brothers and sisters. You know all the needs. And, and I pray for the church around the world, Lord, as whether it's political issues, whether it's social issues, help us to be 
passionate lovers of people, loving you first, loving you foremost, holding on to your truth with fierce passion and loving people well. Uh, Help us to do that in Jesus' name, amen.